Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. This is episode number 45 from Byron Bay, Australia, recorded on April 26, 2016. My name is Julie Faithan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Shoebalzer. Hi, Mom. Hi. 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 So we are currently recording literally across the globe, meaning you are in Boston and I am in Byron Bay, Australia. And I think we're both at different stages of our sleep cycle, which may or may not work for the podcast. Yes, there also appears to be a slight delay in which I finish speaking and it takes like five seconds for me to hear you. So this should be an interesting recording. Well, the hardcore can listen, and the people who (laughs) decided to give it a try can decide it's not for them. There you go. So we'll see if we can make it through with technical difficulties and all. But yeah, so it's uh, early, early in the morning for you. I think it's, what is it, 8? Well, it's not early, early, except that I went to sleep at um, 4. Yes. (laughs) And for you, it's nighttime and you were actually in bed before we started this i was you dragged me out of bed to do this this is our dedication to the adventures in arting podcast it's serious it's real exactly or it's a free phone call (laughs) whichever way it works anyway so i'm sitting here I'm, i'm staying uh in byron bay at jane davenport's place and i'm actually staying in her like little guest cottage and I'm sitting here in the sort of living room area, the great room of this little cottage, and I have my art journal out on the table, my computer, and all my pens, and this is actually, this is going to be the longest stay of my Australia trip because um, I'm here for a little more than a week, and almost every other place it's been like four days, three days, two days, whatever it is, so it's like packing, 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 and so it's actually been really nice to be able to spread out, have my art journal out, have my stuff around you know what I mean there's there's something about that that when you're traveling that like I don't know unpacking feels nice well let's start with where we left off the last podcast and I think you had just had your first weekend of teaching outside Melbourne yes which I learned we're saying incorrectly there's no r in Melbourne it's Melbourne I'm sure it's not the only thing we say incorrectly, but I am. Oh, I I know, because when I got on the plane to go to the airport, I said, hi, I'm going to Ballina. And the guy said, Ballina, and sort of mocked me. And I was like, am I saying it wrong? He said, yes, it's Ballina. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. So there you go. Who knew? Well, not you, obviously. I know. I also apparently, it's interesting because I have, I had a student the other day who I said, oh, that looks like a lattice. And she said, lettuce. And I said, lattice. And it was like a who's on first joke where she couldn't understand what I was saying. It was just really interesting. All right. So once you got yourself out of Melbourne. (laughs) Yes. Once we got ourselves out of Melbourne, the best part of leaving Melbourne is we went to the Australian Reptile Park and I pet a kangaroo. People who want to see it can go to your Instagram and it's in motion. You know what? I was going to say, and I'll obviously, I'll post some pictures and stuff in the blog post with this podcast, but there's a little video on my Instagram feed of me actually petting the kangaroo. And you know, the funny thing is like, so I actually have a deep and abiding fear of animals. I don't know if everybody knows that. You do, mom. 
and so one of the interesting things is that, you know, these are kangaroos that are sort of, the, it's not like you go into a petting zoo situation where it's like a tiny little pen, but they do have sort of like a petting zoo, like food that you can feed them. And it's like a large grassy area. And um, I was sort of unaware that they were there. And I was talking to Natalie's husband, Jim, and all of a sudden, like three kangaroos hopped like past us in incredible proximity. And I like freaked out. I was like, wild animals are on the loose. And then I realized when these little kids were like hugging them around the neck and stuff that they weren't dangerous and it was going to be okay. And nonetheless, it took me a long time to get up the courage to actually pet it. And then the funny thing is when I finally did, and it was super exciting, but when I finally did and I, um, I sent a text to my father and I just said, oh my God, I pet a kangaroo. And he actually understood what a big deal it was for me because he sent me back a text that said, hey, good for you. And it didn't bite you or kick you or hurt you. So, you know. I'm just saying, not only is it a big deal that I get to pet, I pet a kangaroo because it's a kangaroo, but it's a big deal because I'm even scared of, like, petting a dog. Well, I do remember that you used to be terrorized in petting zoos by the goats who would come over to eat the food and they would put their um, front uh, legs on your shoulders because you were a little kid, and that just terrified you. Yes, I did not. I did not like that. I don't like it when a dog jumps on me. I just, I'm scared of animals. I don't like to hold a hamster. It's squirmy. It's, I don't know. I just, I'm scared of animals. I don't know what it is. People are scared of different things. That said, I did kill an enormous spider that tried to eat me. I may, I, I, it freaked me out, but I did it. And I feel proud of myself for that too. Good for you. Exactly. Anyway. <laughs> so after the incredible experience of petting a kangaroo, which was truly amazing, and we got to see all the things, you know, koala and crocodile, and we saw some alligators and kookaburras. We actually saw some kookaburras in the wild, which was really cool. Kookaburras, um, from that old song, you know, kookaburra sits in the old gum tree, merry, merry king in the bushes, he laugh, kookaburra laugh. Anyway, the laughing thing is really interesting because I actually at first thought that there were monkeys. Ah, because the sound that the kookaburra makes is, I think I'm saying that wrong too. I think somebody told me it's kookaburra. Um, but the sound that the kookaburra makes is um, like, it sounds like a monkey. It's like, but it's like laughing. It's really interesting. And um, and they're little. So I, it, and it's this unbelievably cacophonous loud noise. So it's kind of impressive. But we also saw wild cockatoos uh, when we were in Sydney. We saw, um, oh, we saw these fox bats, which are these amazing things that um, have a wingspan akin to like a human being's arm span. And they're, it's like a giant fox in the middle, but it's a bat. Um, we saw lots of insane spiders and all sorts of interesting stuff. I mean, it's, uh, it's been wild kingdom, which has been kind of fun and interesting. And for someone who's scared of animals, fascinating. Didn't you say when you got to Jane Davenport's that there was a frog in your toilet? Yes. Frog in the toilet. Uh, there's a lizard this morning. There was like a petrified, they're called, these little tiny geckos are called skinks. And there was a little like petrified one and they said either like a snake got it or a spider got it with venom or something and basically just like the poison set in and petrified it because it was just sort of hanging there petrified. Ah. Which is interesting. But um, yeah, I've seen frogs. I've seen skinks. I've seen um, – there's some, some animal 
and I'm a city girl and I'm a total wimp and I completely admit this, but there is some animal at night that I just hear the sudden like clatter of feet rushing outside my window or my door that freaks me the heck out. Um, I don't know what that is, but the, I mean, in the end, the thing is like, you know, they don't have opposable thumbs, so my doors and my windows are shut, so it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. All right. Well, it's a growing experience for you in so many ways. I say sitting in my house with the doors and windows shut. (laughs) Yes. Well, I was going to say it's been a growing experience, I'm sure, in other ways because they have crumpets here and I have been eating a lot of them. Okay. So talk about Sydney. Okay. So, so Sydney was a city that was less interesting to me than Melbourne. Um, Sydney felt more like a, felt more like an anonymous big city. It didn't have sort of the street art and the vibe. I didn't think the food was as good. I thought the Chinatown was significantly less impressive. Although I did eat plenty of meals in Chinatown and little Korea and all those areas trying different things, but the food was not as good. Um, it, the stores were more kind of mainstream, less sort of like funky junky, um, alternative-y kind of stuff. Um, that said, I I went to a great museum, saw some fantastic Aboriginal art. The botanical gardens are huge, sprawling, incredibly impressive, absolutely beautiful. The Sydney Opera House was beautiful. We got to hear a didgeridoo being played. Um, if you don't know what a didgeridoo is, it's a sort of long, uh, stick horn like thing. And it kind of goes, that's a terrible imitation of it, but something like that. This is turning out to be quite a musical podcast, <laughs> which is terrible because I can't sing on key at all. Uh, but uh, I looked at some Aboriginal art. I really, when I came to Australia, I came partially with the idea that I wanted to buy a piece of Aboriginal art. The problem is everywhere that I've been where there's been stuff, it's like, it's really expensive, which I don't mind paying for art, but I'm not entirely sure that the money is really going to the people who made it, you know, because none of the gal, I don't know. So it feels, uh, it feels uncomfortable and odd because the galleries that have other kinds of art are significantly less expensive. And I sort of can't tell what's happening. And then I went into one gallery where it really was like an art art gallery and not like a tourist gallery. And the work in there was significantly more expensive. And so I thought, well, maybe these, and anyway, I'm confused, but Nonetheless, we'll see. Uh, I may yet, by the end of my trip, make a decision about that. In the meantime, I've watched like a million YouTube videos about Aboriginal art and watched people making stuff. And I'm dreaming of the day that I have a spare $15,000 sitting around because um, there's a tour that they do, a small group tour where they take you like in a little plane and sometimes like in tiny planes, like two-seater or four-seater planes, to these very hard-to-get-to places where some of the indigenous peoples create their art and you get to see their process and you get to like talk to them and all that kind of stuff. And I thought that was kind of like a really cool thing. I just am never going to have a spare $15,000 to do it, but a girl can dream. That's right. Uh, I mean, I think like any kind of tour where you got to like go to artists studios and see something that nobody else gets to see and all that stuff is cool. So that just sounds extra special cool. But the thing that I really like, um, about a lot of the Aboriginal art that actually, um, 
it's besides like the look of it, which I think is interesting, is all the symbols, which I think are really fascinating. And in some ways, it actually really reminds me of Chagall because, you know, Chagall always used symbols in his painting. It's like every time you saw a fish, it represented his father. Every time you saw, you know, I think it was a cow or a goat or something, it represented him. And so he was painting in symbols. And so all his paintings told stories, even though they might have been um, nonsensical when you looked at them, but they were... Um, you know, full of stories. And I read this thing that said that some of the dot paintings came about because Aboriginal artists used to create sort of very straightforward sim symbol paintings. Uh -huh. And then they were worried that outsiders, you know, that the white man essentially was going to be able to decipher their secrets. And so they started using the dots and circles as a way of hiding the traditional symbols. Yeah underneath and like I saw this whole graph that explained like the half circle means you know a person and if the half circle is turned a certain way it means like something else about a person and I just I like the idea of I mean art has always been a way that we've transmitted information I mean from the beginning of cave paintings and all that kind of stuff and religious paintings which told you stories because you couldn't read so you could look at the painting and understand the story you're supposed to learn, I mean, when you go to any of those beautiful churches and you see the paintings, they're not decorative. They're, they're educational stories. They're, you know, fables and moral information that they're passing down to you. And, um, you know, art sometimes becomes very decorative. And I like the idea of it having like content and secret hidden content and symbols and meaning. And I don't know, I just really, that's stuff. And it's still, I don't know, I'm totally formed about how that's going to influence my art. But I think like beyond the physical form of what that art looks like, I think I've been interested in symbols and art for a long time. And I'm sort of curious to how this is going to filter into what I do. I wonder if it comes out in your journal, in your art journals, in all those faces that you're thinking something yeah. about those faces Without getting too self-revelatory, it's just you are so fascinated by faces. Clearly. I am. I, I mean, the thing is, like, people fascinate me and stories about people fascinate me. And, like, I, I find myself always drawn to art that has, like, the open door alluding to the idea that there might be something about to happen. The, you know... It's the thing they've always said about, like, if the Mona Lisa was fully smiling, she wouldn't be the Mona Lisa. It's because of that enigmatic half-smile, the possibility, mm -hmm. the story interpretation that it's a painting that's fascinated people for years, you know? I think of a lot of Vermeer paintings that beyond the light, he always told a story, and the girl with the pearl earring, the half-ajar door that's in the back, the... You know, I mean, just, I, I am drawn to the idea that there's more than what you're seeing at the moment. Take a second look. Okay. I like that. I think you should talk about just ever so briefly about teaching your class outside Sydney and then your days uh, after Nat and Jim went home. So we taught our second mixed media circus class in Berkeley Vale. And um, the thing that was really interesting about that is that um, Obviously, when you teach a class a second time, it's very different than the first time because you, especially this close, like a week apart, you know, because now you anticipate the students' questions. Now you anticipate where there might be problems. Now you have a better sense of the timing. I mean, whenever I teach, 
I have a general rule of thumb, which doesn't always work, but usually works, which is like however long it takes me to do something, I multiply it by three for teaching time in a class. So like if it takes me an hour to make a journal, I assume that for me to teach that and for people to do it will take them three hours. Um, and so, you know, you can sort of budget generally, but you don't really, really know until you're there in the moment doing it. So I think that the second class in some ways was a was stronger from a teaching perspective, like it was just tighter, uh-huh. you know, uh, the, it's, I think it's like doing a play. I mean, I always go back to the theater for obvious reasons, but like I can remember, you know, that first performance is great for all kinds of reasons. It has a freshness, a newness, it's exciting, it's whatever, but the 800th performance has a tightness from, you know, practice. And I think the same thing is true of teaching the classes which is when you teach a class again, like it, it's maybe it's not as fresh, but it has a super tightness. You just know, and you, you know, feel more confident and comfortable as a teacher. I mean, I, I love teaching and I always think I'm very prepared to teach, but at the same time, you know, this is true. Cause you tell me this every time, whenever you say to me, you know, how are you feeling? I'm always like, Oh, I feel really unprepared. Um, and you always say, <laughs> I say that every time, which I'm sure I do. Um, and I know I say it like every time I'm going on TV or I'm going on a trip or anything like that. And that's because I think I get nervous that I'm, I don't have enough stuff prepared. I don't have enough whatever prepared. So, you know, it's just always nerve wracking. So I guess I felt, I felt more relaxed the second time through. The other thing that was really fun about the classes. So Rachel, who owns the darkroom door, um, company and space and all that kind of stuff, you know, she has been a guest on the podcast, Um, so her space, which is beautiful, has these black tables that were pretty pristine. And we were like, Rachel, we should put something down on these tables. And she's like, no, no, I want them to get messy. And I was like, I don't think you understand what's going to happen. And she was like, no, no, that's cool. And she actually, she was great about it. So we got paint all over the tables and, uh, Nat and I both, uh, left her like, uh, Nat did some stenciling for her on the table and I left her a drawing. And I, I kind of love the idea that these tables are going to become, uh, like a record of who's been there and come through there. Cause it's a new space. And every time there's a workshop, it'll just get more and more layers. But one of the things that was so interesting is that several of the students, even though we said to them, Rachel said you can mess up the tables and that she actually wants you to, couldn't bring themselves to do it and asked either put out mats or or asked for something to put under their space because they just couldn't bear the idea, Ah. you know, of getting paint everywhere, which I just thought was really interesting. Um, It reminds me a little bit of like, I remember when sprayings first came out and people were hysterical about how do you keep the spray from getting everywhere. And I remember it sort of had never occurred to me that that was a problem. And I'm just reminded how often like people's minds work differently. And I think that's the thing I always learn from teaching, which is I have an enormous respect uh, for the fact that everybody's brain, you know, works differently and that what's brave for one person is not for another. So for somebody else getting paint on the table and being willing to do that is, is brave, you know, and for somebody else, it just feels natural. And I, and I think that's true of like drawing, like, so Jane, who I'm here with now is a really good drawer for lack of a better term. She was a fashion illustrator. She understands how to draw. She's very comfortable with it. Um, you know, she's a really good drawer. Um, and so it's interesting. We're going to a sketch, uh, like meetup tomorrow, which I'm going to be really interested 
to see how that goes. But we actually took our sketchbooks today out to the Byron Bay Lighthouse and we were drawing and I was thinking how like I get really shy when I have my sketchbook out in public because I'm not a good drawer. I mean, I'm practicing and I'm getting better and I'm proud of myself and all those things that are important. But I'm not a natural drawer. Um, and it's just interesting because again, like it was interesting to see because she took my stamp carving class and she was not a natural stamp carver. And one of the students sort of jokingly said, I know this is mean, Jane, but I'm kind of delighted that you're having some trouble with this because, you, you know, you're so good at what you do do. And I'm reminded about how important it is to be a beginner, to be a good teacher. I have this friend who um, so told me that every year she takes some class where she's a beginner and often it's not art related. It could be dancing or you know, cooking or skydiving or whatever it is, but something. And she said she's almost always like the worst in the class and terrible at it. And she said, but it's good for her because it makes her a better teacher because it reminds her constantly what it is to be a beginner and that what fear feels like and all that kind of stuff. And it, it reminds me, I think on the last podcast I talked about, or I may not have, that we had a student who was struggling with one thing in class. And I, I think she felt really bad that she was struggling. And it made me realize that like, you know, we put so much pressure on ourselves to be perfect and to get things right and to do all those things. And, and really class should be a place where you actually feel really great and safe in failure because you have somebody to help you, you know? Well, how are you ever going to learn if you already know how to do everything? What's the point? Exactly. And like whenever somebody says to me, oh, this is, you know, complicated or there's so much more to this than I thought or whatever else, I'm always like, I, my response is always, isn't that fantastic? Isn't that exciting and wonderful that there's so much more to learn? I mean, I, I actually feel like if I were able to ever master anything, which I find hilarious, the idea that I'd actually be able to master anything, but if I were actually able to like master anything, I feel like I'd be really bored and I don't think I'd want to do that anymore because I find that an enormous part of the joy of anything for me is in the getting better, is in the improving, is in the seeking to be, to know more, to be able to do more. I mean, and certainly with creating art, I know that I, those moments when my skills don't match my imagination are frustrating and yet exciting because it means I have a goal, like a hard goal to work towards. Okay. Tell us about, uh, Tell us about where you are now and your stamp carving class, and then we'll be up to date. So I'm in Byron Bay, which is on the right-hand coast of Australia. Sometimes, yeah. And um, is it sometimes on the No, no. No, no, no. Well, I assume if you're you're looking at the world. (laughs) If the South Pole is down, then it's on the right side. Um, and Jane Davenport is someone who I only knew through the internet and the way that I ended up teaching here is so bizarrely backwards. I, um, I think I started following Jane on Instagram at some point and then Christy Tomlinson, who I had met at a workshop that I had taken in Utah where she and her husband were also students was here at Jane's teaching and Jane posted a picture of the two of them, or I might have started following Jane because Christy was there. It was some convoluted thing like this. And they, they were, they posted a picture together somehow. And I was like, Oh, you guys, that's awesome. I'm so jealous. And Jane just randomly said, Oh, you should come here and teach. And I was like, ha 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 ha. 
Yeah, that sounds great, you know, because, you know, people say things all the time. It's like, you know, we should get together for coffee. And so, you know, you should fly around the world and come and teach here. But then she actually followed up with an email and we picked some dates and made it happen. And it was kind of magical. But then there was this whole thing where I was like, and I'm sure she was nervous about it too. You know, I'm about to spend 10 days with a complete stranger in her home. This might be... <laughs> This might be a terrible idea, but so far it's been absolutely fantastic. She has a wonderful setup, um, beautiful studio. I mean, I, I, I feel insanely jealous of her setup for like her camera for filming things. And, um, she had a beautiful space and she's been a very generous and kind hostess. And it's just been a really, really great experience. So I feel like this is one of those moments where you like sort of trust your gut and take the leap and the universe says, okay, okay. Tell about the ancillary benefits. Stamp carving? No, I was going to say the ancillary benefits. benefits of staying at her house. Like the yoga. Oh, yeah. So this morning she had a yoga instructor who came to the house. And so I had this moment where I was like, is this my life? So we were out on her deck or her lanai. It's like a covered porch. It's beautiful wooden timber space. And... The yoga instructor's there, and we're sitting there, and we're meditating, and, you know, besides the fact that I have no upper body strength and could not do almost anything, but it, that's a separate issue. But anyway, uh, so we're doing yoga, and we're sitting there meditating, and I'm listening to these, like, foreign Australian birds, and there's a breeze blowing, and, you know, and, and I was just thinking, oh my god, is this real life? Like, this is, this is, this is my life. I am sitting in Australia, you know doing yoga, meditating, breeze blowing outside. I mean, just amazing because P.S. Aren't you guys supposed to be like in the 30s tomorrow with snow? No. <laughs> we're supposed, Actually, we're supposed heard, to be in the 40s. My understanding is that. Oh, sorry. I heard that New Hampshire is getting yes. snow, I guess, and I assumed maybe you were too. Um, so that's kind of, that was, anyway, so that was like a total pinch me moment. And, um, you know, and today, like Jane took me to the lighthouse and there's people surfing and we're, I'm sitting there in a summer floaty beach dress. And I was just thinking, I am the luckiest girl on the planet that, you know, this is my life. And also, I also would say like that the technology that we have today allows me to leave my house and my business for a month. I was totally hysterical that my business was going to fall apart while I was gone um, you know, and so far it's been pretty good. The computer, the internet, you've been extremely helpful. Suzanne, my assistant has been amazing and helpful. Um, and so everything has kind of hung together. Although I think I have a ginormous pile of work, uh, waiting for me though. I've tried to keep up with it, but it, it's not been easy on the go here. Um, anyway, so the stamp carving class, so normally the classes at Jane's are outside on her deck lanai thing, um, but we had inclement weather. It's been raining, and the rain here is insane. It's like normal weather, and then it is pouring. I mean, like, build an arc. Monsoonish. So it goes... Yeah, so it goes from, like, zero to a thousand. I, you just broke and up, I, sorry. I, like, I've seen a couple times... Sorry, it goes from zero to a thousand and I've seen like bicyclers and hikers and stuff and they're just, you're just so, you don't have time to even get under something to get out of it, you know? So it's just, it's interesting. So we, uh, so Jane and her husband took all the furniture out of the inside of the house and set up tables in there and we had stamp carving. 
Luckily, stamp carving does not take a lot of space and it's not super messy. So it worked out and um, I haven't taught stamp carving actually in quite a while. And I always find when I teach it that I love it and, I'm, and I wonder why I don't teach it more often. And it's a funny thing because stamp carving is such a niche craft. It's not like, um, if you say art journaling, you know, there's a big pool of people who are interested. If you say painting, there's a bigger pool of people who are interested. If you, you know, if you say art, there's a, stamp carving is a tiny, tiny, tiny little niche subset. And so it's interesting because those classes are always the hardest to fill. Um, but I think it's one of the subjects that I most enjoy teaching just because I think people's brains explode when they go, oh my God, I made this thing and it's amazing. It can't, um, it's not a niche really group of people nice. who use stamps and buy stamps. I just think people are intimidated by the idea of making a stamp and they don't understand how, uh, it's going to expand their ability to make art. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's like anything. It's like if you offered a class on like making your own paint, there are a bajillion people who use paint. There are not necessarily a bajillion people who are interested uh -huh, in learning uh -huh. how to make their own paint. Although I personally think that's a fascinating subject. But well, I wonder if there's an underlying thing among some people that they use stamps because they feel they can't draw. Do you know what I mean? And they yeah. don't feel do totally confident. I think, I think once true. people think start to make stamps, well, also, I think they don't realize they don't have to sit down and recreate a cow uh, on a stamp, although you probably have done that and it's fine. But I mean, even little simple designs in a stamp can create incredible effects. You know, well, people also don't realize how easy it is to, like, recreate a cow. And I always, when I show them how to, like, to transfer an image and do the carving, people are always kind of like, oh, that's easy, which is nice. Um, and then I oh, inadvertently ended up giving since... a second class. Oh, since we're talking about cows. So there's uh so Jane's house is near a farm and... I woke up this morning and I could hear the cat. I had heard the cows before, but they were really mooing like crazy earlier today. And then this evening they've been mooing and wailing insanely. And I, I finally said like, wow, why are the cows so loud? Like, am, am I just, you know, not noticing it for the first time? And um, so Jan and her husband told me that basically they are separating the calves from the mothers right now. I guess it's that time of year. I don't know why. I guess I, I didn't ask that question why they're doing it. But so essentially they're crying and unhappy and that makes it kind of horrible to listen to. Wow. All right. I know. It makes you sad, right? Sort of like you being in Australia and me being here. Oh, are you mooing? Are you well, I would sad? hope you would be mooing too. <laughs> So what? A, so talk, talk about the. Uh, you're gonna have one more class, right? Yeah. So I have one more class. Also, Jane got a scanning oh. cut right before I got here. So I gave her and um, Andrea, who is one of the students uh, in class the other day, a little scanning cut lesson yesterday. Was it yesterday? I think it was. And. Um, 
then and Jane got a universal pen holder today, so I think there'll be some more skin and cut lessons. Um, but you know, I, I think it's one of those things like skin. I was just reminded because they were very excited to learn a lot of stuff about it, um, and I was just reminded like that 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 is a fun thing, and when people use it for the first time, they also go bonkers oh. about it. All right, so the class you're going to teach this coming weekend is. So the class I'm going to teach this weekend is um, Go Big or Go Home, which is all about painting large. So we're working on large canvases and large pieces of uh, watercolor paper. And I'm excited about it because painting big has been, a t for lack of vocabulary, has been big for me. Uh, I've really enjoyed it and I was intimidated by going big for a long time. So I'm hoping to impart my excitement and knowledge and what I've learned from working big to other people. Um, and I have a bunch of arty stuff planned for the rest of the week. So like I said, I'm going to go to this live, there's a model, um, and we're going to the sketching thing tomorrow morning. And then Thursday, I'm going to a gallery in Brisbane, which is about a two-hour drive from here. So that'll be interesting. Um, and, you know, I think I'm always interested in taking advantage of every opportunity to make art. I have my art journal just sitting on the table here. And actually, while we've been doing the um, podcast, I've been sort of doodling in it. But I'm trying to keep up with doing it every day and making sure that I make some kind of art you know, even if it's just for a little while, every single day. All right. I think we're done. Ah, oh, well, there you go. If you say it's done, we must be done. So, uh, I guess the next podcast is, is going to be from America because I am leaving here a week from today, actually. So a week from today, I will be back. I'll be back home. Well, then I'm going to look forward to that. And in the meantime, I'll be uh, WhatsApping you. Thank God for there WhatsApp. Go. There you go. It's true. It makes it easy to communicate with people far, far away. Okay, so uh, as always, you can find me at ballsdesigns.typepad.com and do leave us your comments or questions at ballsdesigns.com backslash arting, A-R-T-I-N-G. We'd love to hear from you. If you tweet about the show, please use the hashtag pound arting podcast. That's all one word, A-R-T-I-N-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. And thanks so much for listening. We'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting Podcast.